Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, good Monday morning, and uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not Carmen. And this is Mornings Without Carmen today. Carmen is taking the day off because over the weekend, she and Jim celebrated their 12th wedding anniversary, and they want a little more time to get home from there, where they're at. They want to rush it. We said, no problem. So, you know, we had to call up Ryan real early this No, no, we, had, we planned this out a few weeks back. But uh, Ryan, thanks for coming in this morning and uh, handling the the production producer duties so yeah. i can do the, the this part of it i will try to uh, live up to the high high standard that you have set for this side of the board so yeah i'll do that's my best easy. <laughs> that's easy too easy don't worry about high standard anyway well as we start out the show usually we talk about our growing your faith first which you just heard a few moments ago here on faith radio but in case you were otherwise distracted It's Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Now, again, this is part of Psalm 25. It's a Psalm of David. It's an acrostic poem. It's one of those uh, poems or uh, psalms which begins, each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This probably served several different purposes, one of which it was a good way to teach kids the alphabet. You can see a parent teaching the kids these lines as they go through to help them get used to the letters, yes. It's kind of like, well, we have the simplified version of the, you know, ABC books. Maybe you remember, or you've read last night, your kid an ABC book, you know, A is for apple, B is for banana. But how many times did you ever go back to those books as a you know as, as an adult the books that your parents read you or maybe you were reading to your kids and go i got to really meditate on this well this is different because along with the abc aspect there's serving these verses serve as hard instruction for all ages now remember the psalms were sung in most cases that helped in the memorization of the word intake and as you would sing what was memorized and repeated it is the continual invitation for you as the reciter, even from youth, and your to have a life of faith and reliance on God. It would pull you back memory-wise to previous instructions around these verses, previous meditations, previous memories of trusting God. Okay, we don't speak Hebrew, or it's not our native tongue. We don't read it, but the simple, profound callings of Psalm 25 are still for us. So let's read through the whole psalm, stanza by stanza. And actually, you get to see some some little things that are being pulled out. The first stanza, okay, some will say verse 1 is a stanza by itself. But let's take verses 1 through 3 together. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will be on those who are treacherous without cause. Again, this call to trust, even when life is hard, our enemies try to shame us, God won't let us ultimately be put to shame as we follow him. 
Our verses today, verses 4 and 5 plus 6 and 7, form another stanza. Show me your ways, Yahweh, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Again, God is a faithful and forgiving teacher. He desires to lead us out of our foolish, childish ways into his mature good ways. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the commands, or rather the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Again, God faithfully, lovingly shepherding us in his good and right ways as we humbly obey him. And yes, he forgives us our sins. Who then, goes the next stanza, who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Again, here's that call to be one who faithfully fears the Lord. With the call, uh, with the call comes promises of ultimate blessing. A bit of a turn here. Next stanza, starting at verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious uh, to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Here's a a bit of a lament segment, something we really should be more used to doing and instructed in because the psalm doesn't promise life will be all gumdrops and lollipops. It is okay to bring your complaints, your laments to the Lord. As you struggle with life, your heart's troubles, your sins, your enemies, bring it to him. Next. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, or take, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my, uh, my hope, Lord, is in you. Again, taking off the previous stanza, love this realization of our dependence, that humility we need. We need God to guard, to rescue, to uphold us. It's actively seeking God in the hard times. And then the final stanza, one verse. One verse. Deliver Israel, O God. From all their troubles. This is important because this stanza, although just one line, notice the change. It's not a petition to deliver me from my troubles, but Israel, the covenant people of God, from their troubles. Something through faith in Jesus, we too, who are Gentiles, most of us, are made part of. We're engrafted in. We are part of something bigger than just me and God. We are part of a community, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a coming kingdom. And we are called to an allegiance to God's greater community, this community of God. We are called to grow in this community through sharing, or grow the community, that is, through sharing the good news of Jesus to the world. That's why we send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world. But what, what about here in our nation, in your community? How are we clearly loving well and sharing the good news of the kingdom, especially when there are certain strains and stressors in our culture? Things like cancel culture, 
Maybe a missionary can help us think through this. Marie Burris, a former missionary to West Africa, will join us in just a few moments to help us look at cancer culture from a different... Have you ever been canceled or maybe someone you love, you or someone you know, said something or posted something on social media and got slammed hard? Or maybe even lost out on a promotion or a job? Or out of fear of expressing some God-given truth you that could cause you trouble, you shut up. Hey, I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. We live in a time of what some call cancel culture. It is a fearful thing, but do you see it as an opportunity for the gospel? Marie Burris does, and she joins us now. Uh, she is a former missionary to West Africa, Bikini Faso, right, uh, Marie? Burkina Faso, yes. Burkina. I always pronounce it wrong. Burkina Faso. So well, anyway, Maria, thanks for joining us this morning on uh, Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. Okay. Before we get into the conversation about here in America and cancel culture, let's back up and go back to your missions experience. Now, give us a brief overview of that and about the culture of uh, Burkina Faso. Yeah, so Burkina Faso is, so it's in West Africa. Yeah. You've heard of like Mali and Niger and uh, Ghana. It's kind of in that area. Um, and it's a predominantly Muslim culture. Um, I, I say culture because, so I grew up in the deep South where, you know, by default, everyone's assumed to be Christian. And so I think it's it's kind of similar to there in West Africa, where by default, by your ethnicity, by your um, family background, everyone assumes that they are Muslim. And so um, uh, religion is very culturally bound um, by specific tribes. So whoever your people are, you'll either be, oh, I'm Christian because I'm, uh, you know, of a specific tribe or the people that we were working with, they were called the Jula. And so they say to be Jula is to be Muslim. Um, but underneath all of that is this undercurrent of animism. So um, ancestor worship and um, basically whatever you need to do to get by a little, a little bit of witchcraft, a little bit of dabbling in ancestor worship, but underneath the umbrella, we're still going to say that we're good Muslims, but, but we're going to go to the witch doctor if we mm. need it. So, so that's a little bit of the culture of West Africa, um, specifically where I was in Burkina Faso. Okay. And I think about missionaries like uh, Don and Carol Richardson, who sought to share the gospel with a, a people of New Guinea called the Sawi people, if I remember right. And it was a culture that valued violence and deception. As a matter of fact, when they're sharing the gospel story and they get to the part where Jesus is betrayed by Judas, they cheer Judas. But... <laughs> In that culture, they found something, a practice that was called the peace child, which was meant to bring reconciliation between warring tribes and factions. Did you find something like that among the people you served when you were in Burkina Faso? Yeah. So um, as missionaries, kind of as we were being trained, and also if you do missions work, a lot of we talk about bridges and barriers to the gospel. Um, and so in every culture, there's always some kind of gospel bridge. And, you know, there, there are lots of things that also can be gospel barriers. Um, so for West African culture, a lot of the bridges are, you know, because they say that they're Muslim, at least, they believe in one God. They believe that there is a God and that he is powerful and that he exists. Um, 
there's also a lot of common ground with the Old Testament and New Testament um, because Muslims, in theory, are supposed to believe those are part of the scriptures that that they hold to. Depending on the Muslim you ask, they may say, "Oh, well, it's it's been changed, it's been modified, it's 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 not the true text anymore." But um, but there's a lot of common ground, and so what we would do is we would we would share stories from the Bible. We would say, "This is a story from the Word of God. Can I share it with you?" And so that was a lot of the way that we would go is we would tell stories that they were familiar with, um, and then we would connect them to Jesus. Um, so we would build those gospel bridges to get over the barriers um, that they had of, oh, you, but you guys are Christians, um, so so we don't believe the same same things, which is true. Um, but there was a lot of common ground that we shared. So you you learned you learned to farm that to build those relationships, which is important because as we transition talking here in a few moments about our situation here in America, and in particular the issue of cancel culture, a lot of people just have this visceral reaction to it, and I understand that. And there are many yeah. ways there's there's a lot there to viscerally react to, but. Yes. I want you to help us apply a more missionary mindset to how we engage in that. So, again, we're talking with Marie Burris. She is a former missionary, also works as a communication specialist for the Union Baptist Association, and found this article of hers at the Gospel Coalition. Now, if you want me to share the article with you, just text text me at 877-933-2484, and I'll try and get that to you as well. But... Up next, we'll continue our conversation with Marie Burris here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. All right. Instead of cringing under some of the modern trends in our world, things like cancel culture, How can we get underneath the hood and find gospel inroads in the desires of those practicing things, again, like cancel culture? Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today here on Faith Radio, and we're continuing our conversation with Maria Burris, former missionary to West Africa and a communication specialist currently with the Union Baptist Association. And Marie, talk with us about our postmodern world and and um, some of the strains of postmodernism you mentioned in your article that gave rise to cancel culture. Yeah. So, well, postmodernism as a whole, you know, we could spend forever talking oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> but specifically, so Paul Hebert, um, he he talks about, I'm trying to remember the name of his book, but um, he talks about two kinds of postmodern worldviews that you have these skeptical postmoderns. Um, so they reject moral objective truth and lean towards 
nihilism, this idea that life is meaningless and, you know, we should all just give up and just live in despair. Um, and, and if you think about this generationally, it's probably a lot of Gen X um, people who are just like, oh, let's just give up. Life is meaningless. There's no point. Um, but on the other end, there are also these affirmative postmoderns, and they're a lot more idealistic. So they believe that humanity is going to improve through access to tools like science or education or social justice. So if only we can build enough schools or um, advance modern medicine, then, then suddenly the whole world and society, everybody's going to get along, everything's going to be great. So that's what affirmative postmodern postmoderns believe. And um, generationally, you see more millennials, maybe, but Gen Z um, falls in pretty squarely. You know, if I can, if I can push on the causes of um, social justice and whatever, I can fix the world by my own (laughs) tools. Yeah. Now, yeah, there's a bit of utopianism, but that there is that desire for something better, which is good. Mm-hmm. I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. But how they're maybe carrying it out may be a problem here. Now, in your article, at, again, at the Gospel Coalition, you talk about instead of lashing out or flippantly dismissing cancel culture, we should meet accusations from the right and the left, because there's both versions, with compassion yep. and unfailing gospel truth. If done well, these conversations display the beauty of the gospel where justice and mercy meet. That still requires us to get to get uh, get cancel culture, pardon me, it requires us to know what cancel culture gets right as well as wrong. Can you help us briefly outline maybe some good and bad in cancel culture, especially those things that might be, shall we say, gospel hooks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and like I was talking about bridges and barriers earlier. So, so there are some things that cancel culture gets right. This is the common ground that we can agree with cancel culture on that, um, that, that injustice is an issue, um, that evil should be uncovered and eliminated, and that that people who are um, who are perpetrating injustice that we need to to take them out of positions of power and um, put them aside and not listen to them. And so there's you know there's a lot that cancel culture gets right there that um, that we can listen to the accusations of cancel culture. Um, and, and because we are Christians, because we know that our justification is secure in Christ, that we're not condemned, we can, we can listen to people's accusations and take them seriously. Because if wrong exists, um, we should, I mean, Christians, we should care about that. We should want to know if there's sin in our community, mm-hmm. um, we should repent and or rebuke confess um those 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 should be commonplace for us so as christians we can agree um scripture has really good ground for all of this all of these things justice is absolutely important and our god cares about justice you know what you just said there and i was going to get to that point too uh you said because our justification is secure in jesus we can listen to accusations knowing we're not condemned by our true judge Knowing our security, our identity in Christ, oftentimes we miss this part, I think, because, I mean, I I go back to when Jesus talks in the Gospel of John, how before he's, you know, before the Last Supper, before he's about to go through all that, and it talks about how knowing God had put all things 
in his hands. And I mean, it's like he was secure. Mm -hmm. So in that security, he was able to go through what he went through and all the scorn and talk about being canceled. Um, he, He went through that, but he did so knowing, number one, God's ultimate goal in building the kingdom through what his sacrifice knew that, but also just the fact I'm secure with my relationship with the father. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, so I've been reading through, uh, the old Testament in my, in my devotional time. And I'm, I'm reading about David and, and this, the season where Saul is kind of, is going after him. He's David's been anointed King Saul's going after him. And, you know, there are just so many opportunities <laughs> for David to rightfully, well, I, I don't know, he would, he would say not rightfully. Um, mm-hmm, he would. <laughs> and so I, maybe I would agree biblically with him that, that it would not be right for him to take out Saul. Um, but, but Saul was coming after him, wanting to kill him. And he would not, he was like, that's between him, between him and God. He is God's anointed. I'm not going to, you know, if God wants to deal with him, he's going to deal with him. And I'm going to put that in God's hands. Um, You know, obviously David wasn't perfect, but I think in this right, he was, he was following a pattern that we see throughout scripture of, of trusting God and knowing that um, in his good time, that he is going to take care of justice. It doesn't mean that we never do anything Mm -hmm. about it. Um, but we do, we do have to really trust him with those things that, mm-hmm. that just, he will do justice in his time. Yeah, again, we're talking with uh, Maria Burris and, uh, Maria, I, I also hear people might be saying, you know, okay, if I fear, I fear if I concede a point, any point I've surrendered to them all, or I'm fearful I might be pulled into a false worldview and taken away from Jesus engaging mm-hmm. this way. What would you say to that as, again, a former missionary in a world where you are the minority, mm-hmm. how did you, again, those two issues, how did you deal with that? Yeah, well, well, in some ways, as our culture gets um, further and further away from biblical truth, sometimes it becomes a little bit easier in some ways, hmm. because it's easier to say, oh, well, this is very different than a Christian worldview. Um, but it requires that you spend a lot of time in scripture. It requires that you spend a lot of time in prayer. It requires that you really pray for wisdom um, to discern, okay, what is right here? What is wrong here? Um, what, how do I, how do I know what truth is in this culture um, and praying that the spirit would work in people's hearts? Um, so it's <laughs> a lot of the same things that any, any Sunday school teacher would tell you to do. Read your Bible today. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? Those are the things. Those are the things. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> make a difference. Yeah. So right. when you know, when you when you're familiar with scripture and what what is true, what is real truth, um, then you're better able to spot. Oh, this is not true. This is not reality um, as as we see in scripture and in Christ. So mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that. Maria, thanks for getting up so early and joining us here on uh, Mornings uh, Without Carmen today and <laughs> helping us. And hopefully we apply this not just to things like cancel culture, but anytime we're dealing with stuff in our culture to take the humbled position, again, secure in our identity in Christ, but listen and then engaged well, which, again, I think is what you're calling us to do. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are welcome. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul here on Faith Radio. Kean Bird tried to remain calm as he could on Saturday for his daughter. The Dallas uh, Morning News talking about Bird, who is a pastor in Allen, about and about the da- pastor's 16-year-old daughter Kennedy, who was frantically crying over the phone because of an active shooter situation at the mall that she worked at, the Allen Premium Outlets. It's the absolute worst call I've ever had to receive. Uh, beyond the receiving end, said Bird, who is a pastor with Church 1132 in Allen and chaplain for the Allen Police Department. It's just an element of feeling helpless. Hey, I'm Paul. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. And, yeah, over the weekend, another one of those shootings, this down in Dallas. And while the FBI and others are dealing with uh, finding out why they feel Mauricio Garcia went on the shooting spree. Um, churches are active down there. As a matter of fact, Bird's church, Kenan Bird's church, they see he's one of the pastors. Dustin Bates, the lead pastor, said, church leaders are trying to give comfort and encouragement to the community members. We are told to our community, uh, we, we've told our community that there are going to be times to figure out what's happening, how it's happened, explain all those things. But right now, we've got neighbors we got people in our churches that have been devastated and heartbroken. The church may not be or should not be of the world, but we are in it. We are in the world, and this world is hurting. Those congregations in Allen are in the thick of it right now. And so we pray, Father, as we grieve, you grieve this tragedy down in Allen, Texas. And we ask that your spirit strengthen your people, your churches, the outposts of your coming kingdom, to be your hands of compassion and your feet of service in this dark time. Help them shine your grace and healing for now and then shine, shine to help their communities recover. May they be there. May there be a spirit of unity among the congregations to serve the greater need of their neighbors down there and move in this dark situation, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do we... As I know this is a real big departure, but where do we get our rights as citizens? Maybe you think it's our laws, our constitution that give us our rights. Some would say it even goes deeper than that. Daniel Bennett from John Brown University, who also writes the Uneasy Citizenship blog, will be joining me in just a few minutes. We'll contemplate our rights a little bit. This is Mornings uh, Without Carmen. I'm Paul. This is Faith Radio. All right, all right. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Always an interesting little mental exercise. And the answer you give depends a lot of, uh, depends a lot on some of the assumptions you have about origins and things. But anyway, I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Uh, you know, the issue has been long played out in our history, believe it or not, the chicken, the egg, whole mentality, especially around the area of our rights and responsibilities. Joining us now is Dan Bennett, who uh, joins us regularly. He's from John Brown University, plus he writes for the Uneasy Citizenship blog, plus a book coming out soon, I hope, by the same name. Right, Dan? 
Correct. Yeah, it's been submitted to the publisher, and they're working on production at this point. So I guess it's in the pre-production stage. Well, okay. Any set date on when it comes out? Uh, I would imagine a few months from now. So we're thinking probably late 23 or early 24. Okay. But we'll have more information on that in the next couple of months. Okay, cool, cool. Let's get back to talking about our rights. And I shared with you an article that I saw at uh, at the Acton Institute by Hadley Arcus called Mere Natural Rights. And he writes in it, it's never out of season to recall James Wilson's line that the purpose of the Constitution was not to invent new rights by a human establishment, but to secure and enlarge the rights we already have by nature. Okay, that sounds really heady, but it's a very practical reality, and I think we need to talk through that, especially as we, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I have this rights, the Constitution says so. Well, okay, now he's got me saying, why did the Constitution say so? Maybe you can address that. Yeah, so I think it's important to remember, firstly, that the Bill of Rights especially is is primarily a prohibition and restrictions on the government. So if you look at the language of the First Amendment, it does not begin with, you know, Americans or citizens or people in the United States have the right to freedom of speech. It says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. So there's an implication there that people do have rights because Congress doesn't get to abridge or restrict these rights. But the general purpose of the First Amendment is not to grant rights, but rather to prevent the government from infringing on those rights. And so once you remember that, then you can take the step back and ask the next bigger question is, well, okay, why can't the government infringe on those rights? Why was it that the framers sought uh, necessary to include these types of provisions saying the government can't do these things? And really the easiest explanation is natural rights uh, theorists and thinkers have have done for for centuries is that there are just certain rights that people have, not by virtue of being Americans or citizens of a particular country, but just by virtue of being humans, being made, as we would say, in the image of God. And these rights are carried with us no matter where we are, and the government has no right or power to infringe on those rights while retaining its legitimacy. Well, there was, you know, with the coronation over the weekend with uh, uh, now King Charles III, um, I was hearing some people talk about, okay, they have the, the British have a constitutional monarchy, even though they don't have a written constitution. But yeah. even there, they, there's certain recognized rights, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the British system is funny in that, yeah, they don't have a written constitution. They've been around for far longer than the American system has. Its system of rights and rules and laws are rooted more deeply in tradition and precedent and, and other things. But if you go all the way back to the Magna Carta, right, it wasn't just a restriction on the king's power to give it to the to try to, you know, give more authority to the lords and the noblemen in the, at the time. It was an implication and a recognition that the king was not an absolute sovereign over these people. Now, again, if you're a peasant in the day, it didn't really change your life at all, right? But if you're a lord and you own land, you all of a sudden had some recognition that you did have some say in the way that your system ought to be run. Uh, And that was revolutionary then. And, you know, for most of human history, it's still revolutionary. It is. We're talking again with Dan Bennett uh, from John Brown University. And, uh, you know, getting back to our founding fathers, they actually debated uh, th- whether to have a Bill of Rights in there or not. And a lot of people think, well, there's just some people who wanted to infringe upon rights. No, it was deeper than that. Can you explain? Yeah, it was deeper than that in the sense that the they didn't really think about it because there was the implication that, well, of course, we don't need to specifically protect these rights because these are just inherent rights that people have. We don't need to state 
for example, that uh, if, if you're coming at things from a biblical worldview, why would you need to state in a written constitution that all people are made in the image of God? It's like it's an implication. You all know it. But uh, advocates for stronger individual rights and, uh, I guess, opponents of strong state power were saying, yeah, but you don't want to leave anything to chance here. And so that's where the advocates for the Bill of Rights won their won their argument. Uh, I will say another argument against the Bill of Rights, at least early on, was, well, what if we you know, what if we leave something out? What if we don't state everything that we think are, you know, these fundamental rights that people have, uh, which maybe is a reason for the Ninth Amendment, which, you know, basically is the catch-all amendment. Hey, there's <laughs> other things here that we haven't said, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> there you go. We need a catch-all somewhere. Well, yeah, okay, right. let's let's talk about this at the practical level here today. How do you feel we, especially as Christians, have fallen into the trap of thinking our rights and even our responsibilities are given by a Bill of Rights, by various laws, instead of something that God created. Yeah, so I, I do think it's part of our political culture in the sense, you know, when we're caught up and, and, you know, potentially rightfully so with elections and the political back and forth that we see in our country, it's really easy to think about the rights that we have as uh, temporary or uh, precious in the sense that they they might not last forever, uh, and so every election becomes you know this really important thing. And I do think there are efforts you know potentially to restrict certain things that we would consider inviolable or or fundamental. Um, but this is where Christians can maybe have a different set of arguments here: is to say we're not looking to protect these rights because it gives us freedom, because it gives us the ability to do X, Y, and Z. We have these rights because we are made in the image of God, and that imprint carries with us certain aspects of identity that any government can, you know, cannot take away. Uh, so I think it does raise the bar uh, and raise the the level of conversation about politics and law in a way that is, is really helpful for our culture right now. Uh, so that's something I think Christians can can practice uh, more of in the future. Okay, this is going to be a bit of a turn, and maybe this might not be your <clears throat> your your lane, but I, I kind of go with this and look at even with us as if, <laughs> excuse me, as we look at the Bible and as we think of things. Okay, I know there are more commands than rights, but ten commandments, and we assume okay, this is what God said to do because this is what God said to do, without getting to okay why? Because I, I see these as reflections of what God intended from the beginning, don't you? Like the Ten Commandments and, of course, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all yeah. your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then your neighbor as yourself is the second commandment. There's there's something about that that is uh, baked in to what God created, don't you think? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think when it comes back to the political side of things, uh, and this is where I think Christians can – can really try to blend these aspects of our identities on earth and on, on in heaven rather uh, you know if when, when government entities or, or officials or whatnot enact policies that not only restrict these you know the, the rights that we believe are natural or inherent to us but when they start to make policies that prohibit our abilities to exercise uh, our identities, uh, within the these commandments that God has given, the greatest commandment, right? Is, are there policies that prevent us from loving God and loving our neighbor? Um, you know, once that happens, I think Christians have a more uh, clear duty to push back and restrict. The key, of course, is identifying when those things are actually taking place mm -hmm. and not just out of inconvenience. I think we saw this a lot during the pandemic with uh, concerns over 
you know, church closures and mask wearing and these kinds of things. Uh, I think there were instances where, where Christians were probably justified in saying this is this is too far when churches were treated just completely differently than other types of you know, institutions in, in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a wisdom issue. It's a discernment issue. And we shouldn't be so quick to identify everything that the government does that we don't like as an infringement on our natural or God-given rights, because uh, ultimately it waters down uh, what is most important. Mm. Another thing I think watering down what's important is <clears throat> how we, how we, um, our allegiance, I guess, to things um, in the world and our tribe. And we're going to talk about that next here with uh, Dan Bennett from, again, John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship Blog as we continue our conversation. Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Our spring fundraiser is officially finished, but there's still time to give. If you enjoy this podcast and want to fund more content like this, make a gift now by following the link in the show notes or visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks. Okay, as we seek to apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day, the hope is that we also seek the goals our Lord seeks and love the people he has called. Hey, I'm Paul filling in for uh, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio on this Monday. And again, we're talking with Daniel Bennett from the from John Brown University. And uh, Daniel shared a couple of articles with me over the weekend. Uh, one talking about a recently a veteran English professor at a Christian university was told her contract would not be renewed, according to the article at Religion News Service. The reason she was given uh, this, you know, this uh, announcement is she was using writings from a writer who we've we've talked to before here in the morning shows, uh, Jamar Tisby. He's an African American Christian who wrote the book Colors of uh, Color of Compromise that talked about how the Christian faith was co opted at points in our American history to justify things like slavery. Well. There was pushback. As a matter of fact, the article points out how the university was getting uh, pressure regarding this teacher and that the institution was becoming, quote-unquote, woke. Meanwhile, the other article that, uh, Dan, you shared with me had to do with Russell Moore as he was looking at the upheaval at Fox News. But more to the point in the article was concerns by pastors Moore talked with about how people were being more discipled and formed by things such as the news media than by the Bible and by the the, uh, teaching of their church. And the resultant fear of the seismic changes in our society and that our tribe was losing its place. Now, here's the salient point, I think, in the article for me, Dan. He, uh, Russell Moore writes, commentator David Frum is correct that one of the most seismic generational changes over the last 20 years is the rise of the nuns, referring to those with no religious affiliation. And the younger we go on the generational chart, the sharper the decline of religion, religious self-identification, worship attendance, and other metrics. Other re- One reason American Christians are in a state of denial about these realities is that so many are sorting themselves into the wrong us, the wrong tribe. Every blood and soil form of fear-based identity politics thrives on defining us in terms of visceral categories. This assumes a blatant social Darwinian view of what the human communities are or can be. And the problem for Christians is that the gospel contradicts this ideology at its very root. I want you to comment on that. That is a major statement. Yeah, yeah, and and Russell Moore has been no... Uh, you know, he's, it's not a secret that he's, you know, opposed this, this fusion over the last several years between, 
a uh, far right, you know, politics becoming more mainstream uh, with elements of Christian churches and Christian communities. And the justification uh, that I've read from and, and seen from a lot of Christians is, you know, at least they've got our backs on, and, and they wouldn't call them, they, they certainly want to identify their allies as far right or racist or anything like this. They would just say, uh, you know, th these folks are fighting for a lot of the same values that we care about. And so we shouldn't be alienating these allies at a time of, you know, immense political upheaval. But I think Moore's point is, is important and, and really crucial for, for us to remember right now that, you know, temporally, these allegiances and these alliances and these, these things might lead to, to political victories uh, in elections and policies uh, that, that, you know, might push back against a stemming cultural tide. Uh, but in terms of eternity and in terms of what we're called to do as Christians to confound the status quo, the, these allegiances don't really make sense in light, of, in light of the gospel. Now, of course, people on the far right are just as much made in the image of God as you or me or, or anyone else. Um, but I think Moore's point is, is important that when Christians are caught up in the spirit of the age— right? Where it's fear, it's identity, it's tribalism. It's really easy to overlook the, 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 the problems within our own communities because of the immense problems that we see in our, in our opponents. Mm. Getting back to the article about um, the professor who was, uh, you know, uh, didn't get her contract renewed. Mm -hmm. There's also, to me, okay, what about our integrity, whether it be academic integrity or others, to be able to engage in the conversations of the day well without reacting harshly. Yeah, and, and this is something, if your listeners have been paying attention to higher education, you know, this is something they're going to be pretty familiar with, concerns over, you know, professors indoctrinating students or attempting to uh, push or advance a particular worldview on those students. Um, you know, obviously it's anecdotal, but uh, the teaching that that we do at, at John Brown and the teaching that goes on across the the CCCU, the, these Christian, these distinctly and and uh, definitively Christian colleges and universities, the overwhelming vast majority of faculty aren't pushing agendas in class. They're encouraging students to consider different perspectives, mm -hmm. right? And to 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 carry ideas simultaneously for the purpose of challenging and, and growing in their critical thinking so that when they do leave college and go out into a fallen world, they're able to navigate that terrain more successfully. Um, but this is where I think the fear comes in, right? Someone like Jamar Tisby, who is a believer for, you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's a professing Christian. Um, you know, he, he's written things that, that are, you know, I think uncomfortable for, for a lot of Christians to hear, uh, particularly in this era of tribalism. And the reaction is, you know, can simply be, well, we don't want to, we don't want to encourage that because this is just, because he's critiquing our house, he must be working for the other team. And I think that's a really simplistic and not particularly helpful view of things. Uh, you know, I think we should be, and I say this as a professor, willing to hear different arguments. Certainly I've had students who disagree with me in classes and if they, you know, when they make their arguments well, I mean, it's great. Like they're able to justify it with evidence and these kinds of things. And uh, I, I'm really excited by that. Uh, so I, I don't know this professor that, that you were talking about, but all indications are that she had a 
a record of using these writings in the past. And mm-hmm. this is th- th- she has not she is not the change. It's the culture that has changed in in this context. Yeah, and again, uh, get this gets us back to our core identity. I mean, if you want to talk about our tribe, what is our? We have to think about our primary tribe, <laughs> and that is you know yeah. people of God. Uh, we are part. Even if we disagree with some people, we still got to have that love and that allegiance to them. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. And so someone like Jamar, you know, who, you know, I might not, I, you know, certainly I think he makes a pretty compelling argument in his book about history. But when it comes to policy and you know, when it comes to actual solutions, he and I might disagree on implementation and he and I, we might disagree on the current state of things. But, you know, I don't I don't doubt his sincerity for in his, in his love of, of, of Jesus. Right. Uh, just as I hope he wouldn't do for me because I, because I happen to disagree with him on certain <laughs> things. So, you know, I, I do think that's important. It's important for us to be able to see the bigger picture. And my, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach from an ivory tower here. I mean, I do this all the time when it comes to failing and to, to, to not be gracious and, you know, see the good in people with whom I disagree. Um, but it's an ongoing challenge we have to we have to address, particularly in this, like you said, this era of tribalism and division, this is where Christians can stand out and really confound the world to the point where they're like, I don't understand why they're behaving so differently. It doesn't mean we can't be political. It doesn't mean we can't be partisan, be part of politics, but the way we do it has to look different than how the world does it. Yes, and they'll know we are Christians by our love and by the fact that we also can uh, stand in the narthex of the church together and have coffee and donuts and talk. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) Donuts especially. Donuts especially, especially on a Monday morning. Anyway, hey, uh, (laughs) thanks again for joining us, Daniel. Daniel Bennett, again from John Brown University, uh, one of our regulars here on Mornings with Carmen. Always great talking with you. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. This is Faith Radio. You want to see what the Holy Land might look like through the eyes of Jesus? Well, this month here at Faith Radio, if you go to MyFaithRadio.com or pull up the Faith Radio app, a chance for you to win a copy of In the Footsteps of the Savior. It's a new book by Max Lucado, who we so enjoy here at Faith Radio. Uh, We're giving away a copy every day, so you have a good chance to win. But you got to go again to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up, or again, you can sign up right there on your Faith Radio app. Our number two of Mornings with Carmen, or should I say Mornings Without Carmen, on the way here on Faith Radio, as we think about Mental Health Awareness Month and how we should not self-stigmatize. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit here with Melissa Mork on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.